Hello, my name's Clay. Uh, I'm kidding, it's a different meeting. Uh, so my story takes place uh, in my early 20s. The only real time frame I really have is Hollywood video closing, because I used to work Hollywood video. So right around 2010-ish. Uh, my story kicks off with working at a light Christian gift center. There was some crosses on the wall, maybe a Bible verse or two. It did share a wall with uh, a Christian gift center as well. Uh, sorry, I worked at a Christian coffee shop. Anyway, uh, I met this girl next door. She was super rad. Obviously, Christian, Christian, it was meant to be. Obviously, 100% meant to be. Uh, so we started dating. Uh, time jumps forward a little bit. Uh, Nick and Gabby have been my closest friends for pretty much ever. Uh, I will clarify, most people thought I met Nick first. I did meet Gabby first. It has been put to rest. That debate is done. Uh, so Nick at the time, pretty much the same kind of guy he is now. Great, stalwart, uh, supportive, mischievous, uh, likes to pull pranks. Gabby, uh, same gorgeous, beautiful woman she is today. A very stalwart, compassionate, loyal, dedicated. Um, I say those things because though they both um, brought the girl's name. I'll change it to Rose because it fits in with like an analogy later. Don't worry. Spoiler alert. Uh, Anyway, so through circumstances uh, that I was involved in, we started doing a weekly uh, podcast Bible study, and then we would talk about it. So going through that, I'd realized my life wasn't quite matching up with this idea of having Christ in a relationship or Christ first, or even a relationship with Christ, because I really didn't have any of that. Uh, I saw a relationship between Nick and Gabby grow and continue to grow and that's kind of where I wanted my life to go uh, so I realized oh man my life is a little off kilter here and the more that I continued to walk down that path like the more my relationship over here with Rose started to tank and it's like oh this is really hard this is heartbreaking but I continued because you know I have two really close friends so the culmination of uh, this whole thing happening was we'd started doing Bridgetown, uh, Bridgetown podcasts and started going through that and we jumped forward a few months now or years in fact because I did get engaged. We were engaged at their house at a Christmas party. Woo! Crazy spoiler, didn't work out. But uh, the takeaway from this is that life does continue to go. So this is December, uh, just before Christmas, amazing time of the year, usually. So I had received a text message saying, hey, I actually can't be with you anymore. We need to break up, or we need to, I'm sorry, not be engaged and I need to move out. And you know, of course, my life was like crushed. And this is where the Titanic has then hit the um, iceberg, you know, so. A little, little bit of flooding, but it's not a big deal. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is fixable. I can fix this. The thing that is ruining it is obviously my relationship with Jesus. So I'm just going to put you in a box over here. I'm going to fix my life. And then I'll come back over to this. And that's where my mind immediately went. It's like, well, well, I know exactly what's ruining my relationship. I need to fix it. So we went through Christmas. Christmas was awkward, it was with her parents. They got her like everything that you would possibly need to move out into an apartment of your own. 
So it's like, oh, this is tough. This is tough. Uh, so at this point, you know, there's like, you know, Jack is then like in the basement and she's trying to like hit his handcuffs so that it breaks and, you know, they can be free. Anyway, the point is there's a lot of water in the ship and it is for sure sinking. So New Year's rolls around and we went to a movie, had dinner, and then, you know, everybody counts down. So it's like 10, 9, 8, 5, blah, blah, blah. So we get to one, right? And everybody kisses because, you know, we were engaged. And, like, that kiss happens. And I've never told anybody this before. I'm like, oh, no, we broke up a little after New Year's. No, it was right there. We go in for the kiss. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. So at this point, the Titanic has broken in half. And I'm up here just riding it down. Uh, so it wasn't a clean break, obviously, because we broke up twice. So twice the heartbreak. Uh, my life at that point, I was like, oh, dude, it's over. My whole identity at this point in time in my life was in this relationship. I was on the fast track to getting married. I was in college. I just graduated. Uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but it was a business degree, so I could do anything they told me. So, uh, <laughs> going from that in January to my life is over, this door is closed, I'm pretty sure I heard the lock click on the other side. Jesus was like, no, there's tape here. Do not go through this door. But it took a month or two, and I figured out, oh my God, there's so many more doors and opportunities that you have that you can go through. Just because an area of your life has been closed, albeit even temporarily because God opens doors all the time, there are so many different opportunities and so many different things you can do. Uh, I think Adam also said it best two weeks ago, you're never alone. And in those three months, I'd always felt that I was alone. And it was this time that Jesus was like, oh, I'm tired of this box. I'm going to come back into your life, and I'm going to walk beside you. And in that walking beside me is a reconnection with Nick and Gabby. We uh, picked back up our uh, weekly teachings, and we'd just gone through a thing on baptism and what it meant and uh, dedicating your life to God and all of those things. And it's like, oh, maybe, maybe I want that. I don't know. Like, this whole thing has kind of, like, ruined my relationships that I had. Uh, but I remember calling the contact us number on uh, ajesuschurch.org. And the person that was out that day to answer the phones wasn't there. John Mark Comer answered the phone. Ooh, name drop. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so we talked for about 20 minutes on what it meant for uh, a baptism. And I was like, oh, that's really awesome. That really resonates with me. And he's like, dude, come to Easter. Come to our Easter service. And I was like, sick. Yeah, totally will come to the Easter service. So a week after Easter is when we make it over. <laughs> and we sit through uh, a whole message, and there's no baptism. They did it all the week prior. Like, baptism water was empty. I'm like, oh, no. So at this moment, Nick was like, dude, let's just go down to the river. And I was like, oh, did they do that, though? Is that, is that a lot? Can Nick baptize me? I'm, ooh, I don't know. And it's, you know, the week after Easter, it's cold. So we go, we're down at the river, it's me, Nick, and Gabby, and a buddy of mine, Corbin, and uh, it, it was frigid, but I remember just thinking, like, uh, as Nick was praying over it, that, yeah, this is, this is awesome. A relationship that I had may have ended, 
but the doors and opportunities that I have now are endless. The friends that I have made going forward. And I would say that my definition of love has also changed. I love tacos, I love those things, but I also have like a deep-rooted love in Christ and I have a deep-rooted love in relationships that I've made and more relationships going forward. So any walk that you're going through, uh, any hardness or hardships that you're having, just remember that you aren't alone and there are always doors open to you no matter where you go. And a perfect example, just go forth, pray, and don't be alone. So that's my story. I'll invite Simon back up. It was okay. Sorry, my mic's on. It was terrible. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I love that, Clay. I love your story, your miracle story. Um, it reminds me of how God shows up in what could otherwise be thought of as ordinary. I've, I've had breakups again more than And um, I love that you're, as you retell the story, you're like, no, this is the story of Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus showed up in my brokenness and met me when I thought I was alone, only to discover I was never, ever. And boxes cannot hold the resurrected king, for sure. I don't know what the greater miracle, though, is. The miracle of Jesus meeting you in your brokenness or John Mark Comer picking up the phone. <laughs> when you call Bridgetown, that's, that's supernatural. Okay, okay. Some of you are like, who's John Mark Comer? Why? Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with us. Um, thank you for the joy, as Josh said, uh, being together in a room and the way that you speak uniquely. Lord, I pray that this morning um, we would experience your kingdom coming, your will being done in our lives, in your church, in Portland, in a way that's beyond just words, beyond just sentiment. Lord, we're hungry for you, for your very presence in this place, and I pray that you would speak, and that you would move, and that you would have your way in our brokenness, in our distractions, in our pride, in our hurting, and all of the different things, Lord Jesus, want you lead the way. Amen. So this is the last installment of our Miracles uh, series. If you're just jumping in today, it's not complicated. We've been talking about miracles and how God did and still does do miracles. So we've been celebrating kind of the miracles that God has been doing um, in the spectacular and in the seemingly ordinary. Um, and then we've been looking at God's uh, to better understand like, oh yeah, this, this is who God is. This is how God works. This, is, this has always been what God does. He moves, he interjects, he acts in our lives and in the world. That's, that's what God does. Um, so we're going to conclude that idea, that series this morning. Um, first things first, I want to throw up a meme because this is super powerful. Uh, yeah, you guys remember this one? 
I've probably seen this on the internet a thousand times. It still makes me laugh. Um, it's just a classic meme. But you guys know the old saying, you've seen the bu bumper sticker, right? No regrets. And I, I think that's a, I don't, not like the most controversial thing, but it kind of annoys me a little bit um, because I have this deep conviction that actually there are things that I've done in my life that I do regret. In fact, we were just singing this morning, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've made it. Um, I can't really sing those words with deep conviction without also thinking back to things. Yeah, I am sorry for some things that I've done. I am sorry for the way that I've been. I am sorry. I regret how at times in my life I've made it all about me and how that just seriously hurts people and myself. Um, I also get the idea that um, it's terrible to live life constantly looking back, thinking like, oh, man, if, if only, if only, if only, and somehow it's too late, and I've made this mistake, or I've done this thing, and now my life is ruined, and versus, you're like, you know what, actually, what if, what if another door does open? What if, what if there's a God in heaven who could somehow interject in my life in a way that all things work together for good. What if there's a God in heaven who's like that? And so it's not so much me somehow trying to convince myself in some sort of like a, I mean, you have to be relatively like sociopathic to like actually never ever regret anything in life. What if there's a God in heaven who works in my life when I turn to him such that when I look back, even the things that I regret or regret the most somehow become like the open door that Jesus stepped through and began to do good things in. So this morning, I want to talk about the miracle of redemption. The miracle of redemption. Um, I want to share with you a few examples of where this is seen in scripture. Okay, this is not just an idea that I came up with. This is something, this is a, a way that God acts over and over. If it, it's a type of miracle in scripture. For example, John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. There's a man who was born blind. Jesus has been healing people. So his disciples come to him and they ask him this question. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither this man nor said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's something broken, but God wants to do something good in it. He wants to redeem the broke situation. John chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, another example the sisters of Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus, who was just about to die, come to Jesus, and they say to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. It's the miracle of 
redemption. God showing up in death and doing something good through it. Acts chapter 16. This is one of my favorite. Paul and Silas, they were on mission. They were traveling around telling people the good news that Jesus is alive. Hope is real. And, and we're told that as they were doing this, um, they got thrown in jail. Apparently, there was a few people not super excited about what they had to say. They were thrown in jail. And it says in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were attacked by a crowd, stripped naked, beaten with rods, and illegally imprisoned, but then God intervened. The result, the Philippian jailer, who had personally locked them up and thrown away the key, ended up putting his faith, his whole, him and his whole family, ended up putting their faith in Jesus. God showed up in a dark, literally a very dark, a pitch black dungeon and did something good in that situation. It's the miracle of redemption. And perhaps favorite, chapter 50, verse 20. This is at the very end of the first book in the Bible. Joseph, he had been betrayed and sold into slavery by his own brothers, had spent a good portion of his adult life being thrown in prisons, being falsely accused, experiencing injustice over and over and over again. And at the end of this long journey, after God had shown up in just what seems like a completely debauched, broken life, Joseph says this to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Is the miracle of redemption. And of course, you can't talk about redemption without at least mentioning the cross. The cross, this ancient form of execution meant to prolong maximum shame and maximum suffering before ultimate death by asphyxiation. This symbol of torture, the symbol of being cursed, is now the symbol of forgiveness. And yes, redemption. We consider the cross, we're reminded that God doesn't desire to condemn us, but to suffer for us, to save us, to forgive us, to welcome us home. The cross is the miracle of redemption. The miracle of redemption is the miracle when God moves in the midst of awful, broken situations, making good things out of otherwise senseless, hopeless, unimaginable pain. It's a specific kind of miracle. Because, of course, there's miracles that happen when I'm not necessarily suffering. Um, like the miracle, well, now I was going to say, like the miracle of my firstborn son. But someone was actually suffering in that moment, now that I, now that I recall wasn't so much me, um, but my lovely wife might have something else to say. But there's certain miracles. Okay, here's an example. Just last week, I got an email um, from someone out of the blue. said, hey, 
just want to let you know there's a check for $1,000 in the mail. It should be showing up sometime next week. That was a miracle. In my mind, miracle provision. And it's not because I was starving. It's not because I was uh, living on the streets. A lot of people are. We could use that money. Pray to God that I'll use it well. Not just for myself, um, but for the way God might intend me to use it. But there was no brokenness involved in that. There wasn't any pain. I wasn't suffering. It was just God being really, really good. Just blessing me and my family. I'm talking about the miracle of redemption. The kind of miracle when God acts in the middle of pain. Gross injustice. And uses it. Works through it. Makes something out of it that's really, really good. It means our Heavenly Father is a spiritual hoarder. You know what I mean by that? He can't throw stuff away. No matter what might look like trash to me, God looks at it and is like, oh, well, if you'll give it to me, just, just, just give it to me. God, it's trash. It's trash. It's dead. It stinks. Just give it to me. God takes it. He has this way of making beautiful things, good things, out of what would otherwise seem like just trash. This is beyond redemption. This is beyond, this isn't worth hoping for anymore. Give it to me. Give it to me. That is the miracle of redemption. The miracle of redemption. It means that God doesn't merely replace what's broken. He doesn't just simply get rid of our past. He uses it. He works through it. He makes something good out of it instead. The miracle of redemption, this is important. The miracle of redemption doesn't mean that pain stops being any less painful. Some of you needed me to say that. So I wanted to get there quick. This is not the idea that like, oh, your life is hard. That thing really hurts. It's, it's going to be all right. Don't, don't worry, baby. Be happy, be happy. Hey, the good news is no, 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 no. That's, none of that's helpful. <laughs> the reality is you're hurting. The reality is what you experienced was real abuse, is real injustice. And the miracle of redemption doesn't make a painful situation any less painful. Even Jesus... When he was suffering on a Roman cross, cried out, I thirst. The same man who in John chapter 7 said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and I will give them something to drink. I and I alone can quench the thirst of your soul. I am who you're looking for. And he makes this incredible promise. Jesus himself, when he was suffering, said, I feel like my father has abandoned me. It's real. Even as he suffered on the great sign of redemption, the cross. It doesn't make pain any less painful, but it does reframe our suffering within hope. Hope. 
there's nothing too broken or damaged that God can't use for good. But what if, you say, but what if? Aren't there some things that are just like dead, like dead, dead, like really dead? Aren't there some things in life that are terminal? What if the diagnosis is 100% terminal? What if the cancer has come back? What if the corpse is already cold? What if the divorce is final? What if they've already moved on? What if they're already with somebody else? What if the damage is already done and there is no undoing the results? Like, like, you know, I'm talking about real life. Like real life. What if the relationship, Clay, what if the relationship, I didn't mean to look like right at you. What if the relationship you were praying for God to heal didn't get better, it got worse, and now it's over? And they're they're with someone else. Okay, need I go on? Like real life, like what if the thing that you were asking God to do a miracle in, what if it didn't work out? Is there still hope? What if instead of the miracle of healing, God offers you the miracle of redemption? But my boy is still suffering. What if instead of the miracle of healing, God gives you a miracle of redemption instead? The miracle of redemption doesn't make pain any less painful, but it does mean that your story isn't over. There is still hope. There's still hope. There's still hope. Even if your hope isn't fulfilled in this life. This is also very important. We're all relatively young in here. We are young in here. I don't think about my mortality a lot. I still feel relatively invincible. Um, That's changing. But I have to to remember that if, if my hope in Christ is in this life alone, then that is a pitiful place to be. That's that's hopeless. The miracle of redemption is not always fulfilled in this life. Fully, let me add that, fully. I think the kingdom of God is always breaking in, at least in part, at least in part. There's always a foretaste of redemption available, even now. Even now, the miracle of redemption, the miracle of redemption means that hope has the final say in all matters. Because you can take anything, even dead things, and do something good with them. The miracle of redemption means that hope has the final say in all matters, even post-mortem, even in death. Even in divorce, even when it's like thoroughly broke, like the wheels are off, not coming back on, hope has the final say. Because in the miracle of redemption, the story's not over. God's not done yet, which means the miracle of redemption. The miracle of redemption means there's never a situation where it, is, where it no longer makes sense to ask, what is God up to 
in this situation? This would make a great small group question, actually. Think about what's hurting in your life. Think about the difficult thing that you're facing in your life, or more often, what the real pain is when you're considering the pain of a loved one. Ask yourself the question, God, what are you up to? What, what good could you possibly accomplish in this painful situation? I guarantee you'll be tempted to think, oh, no, that's stupid. There's nothing, nothing good about this. There's nothing good about that. You're wrong. Well, maybe you're right and there's nothing good about that, but give it to God and he'll make something good out of it. Hope always has the final word. The miracle of redemption doesn't mean that pain is any less painful, but it means hope is still alive. And as long as God's not dead, hope is alive. That's the miracle of redemption. What do you, how do you, what do you, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Isn't there something about human nature you almost sometimes want? You want to give up. Hoping is hard. Believing that God can do something in what feels just too far gone. It can hurt to keep hoping. Because we all know like, what it feels like to, well, to be let down, to be betrayed, to not get the healing we are hoping for in this life. But what if instead of the miracle of healing... God offers you the miracle of redemption instead. God says, give it, give it to me. Let me touch it. It's scary. It's scary. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> what might this involve? What sort of trust are we talking about here? What sort of vulnerability is this going to require? Give it to me. Don't throw it away. Don't, don't, um, don't disdain your brokenness. Don't hide it. Don't pretend like it's all right. Put it in his hands. And see what God wants to do through your painful situation. God, what are you up to in this painful moment? That's a good question. And you always get to ask it, no matter what. God, what are you up to in this painful moment? Here's a question. What is God's redemptive good in my life? What is God's redemptive good in my painful situation? So I keep talking about God can do anything. God can do something good in my pain. God can do something good in your brokenness. God can do something good in the injustice that we all experience in this life. So what what is this good? What is this redemptive good in my pain? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, or because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
Let me read it again. And we know that in all things, all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, talking about his kids, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew because, because, why? Because those who God foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed or transformed to become more like Jesus. That's the good. That's the good. What is God's redemptive good in your pain? To somehow through it help you to become more like Jesus. Some of you are like, I'll take the $1,000 check. Like, that sounds way gooder. <laughs> hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Apparently God, hmm, God knows what's good. God, God knows what's good. God is a good father. He's a really, really good father. And he knows that um, solving my temporary situation sometimes is great. Oh, my goodness. I love it when God interjects and heals and provides and just and, and helps me in all sorts of ways. But he doesn't always do that. In fact, when I'm hurting, it feels like he does that uh, less, less than I'd like him to. But God shows up, and he says, look, I'm not going to heal you, but I want to do something through it. I went for a long walk with Brother Ben on a Thursday. Was it Thursday? What was that? Earlier this week. It doesn't matter. Earlier this week. Went for like, like an hour and a half or something. I have a blister on my toe, man. I'm suffering. I'm really suffering. And somehow we were walking, 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 and I, was, I began to remember, like, oh, yeah, I have a, I have a deformed foot. And... I was remembering how when I was um, younger, I remember my foot, my right foot hurting really bad. Couldn't figure out why, what was going on. And then a few years ago, this is what, while we're still, still in the UK, I went to the doctor for some reason, and the podiatrist looked at my foot, and he gasped, and he said, wow, when did you break your foot? And I said, I, I don't know, did, did I break my foot? He's like, yeah, you obviously broke your foot, and you obviously never got it treated. And now it's healed, and it's, it's, you can see it's obviously got like a club foot. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, you broke your foot. You never got it healed. You know how many times I've asked people to pray for my foot? When I first became a Christian, and I read Bible verses about how God heals, I was like, I got in prayer lines. And it was very embarrassing. I felt, you know, I'm very insecure about it. Very insecure. I love it when people will like notice it and point it out like, oh, what's wrong with your foot? That really blesses me so much. <laughs> I think it may, may have been one or two of you in here. I'm so sorry. Like, don't, don't worry about it, all right? I know, I know you mean well. I know you mean well. <clears throat> Super insecure about it. So it's always taken a lot of courage for me to be like, I'm going to get in a prayer line. I've probably done this at least half a dozen times. Get in a prayer line, come up front, and someone's like, yeah, how can I pray for you? I'm like, yeah, I got, you know, kind of, my foot's kind of messed up. And I'd love for Jesus to heal it. He hasn't healed it. Occasionally I think about it. Occasionally I think, maybe, maybe I'll get prayed for again. It didn't work the first half a dozen times, but I don't, maybe this time. I'm allowed to like keep asking Jesus to heal me, right? 
doesn't get mad at me. But he hasn't healed my stupid foot yet, and it gets sore after walking around the neighborhood for like an hour and a half. Am I allowed to ask the question, God, what are you up to in my broken foot? Am I allowed? As long as Jesus is still alive. What is the miracle of redemption in my pain? What good is God wanting to accomplish? As long as I'm still suffering in this life, what is the good? Well, ultimately, ultimately, God wants to transform me into becoming more like Jesus. Jesus was well acquainted with physical suffering, emotional suffering, all the the, the things, all human suffering, well acquainted. But somehow he was able to, to navigate through the pain of this life and still live full of joy and peace. Never stopped loving people. Never ran out of compassion for the broken, for the hurting. Prayed for his enemies. The very ones who were crucifying him, stabbing him, watching, mocking him as he died. He prayed for them. Oh, I'd love to live like that. Could you imagine experiencing that kind of peace? In this world, that kind of freedom in this world. And there's something about the way God works in or through my pain that helps me to become more like Jesus. This doesn't, by the way, this doesn't explain why God allows suffering and injustice to go on unchecked in our broken world. This is very important. This is like a little theological nuance here. But this does not explain why God allows suffering and injustice to go on in our messy world. It doesn't. It's not an explanation. But it does tell us what God wants to do in our pain and the injustice in this world. Let me, I need to kind of hit this one a little hard. because This might help some of you, all right? Some of you have been, have been given very, very lame explanations as to why evil and suffering goes on unchecked in our world. Man, it's not helpful. It's not biblical. It's not philosophically good. It's just not helpful. Job didn't really get a satisfying answer. God just said, look, I'm God. Yeah, this, like, I'm just, your mind might melt if, if I try to explain this to you. But what I, what I need you to understand is what I want to do. God's great answer to human pain and injustice in the world isn't an, a philosophical excuse, it's protest. This is what I'm going to do. In the face of evil and injustice, I'm coming down. I'm declaring war on evil. I'm not dropping bombs. I'm not recruiting 
uh, uh, militant uh, terrorists. We are going to overcome evil by doing good. We are going to overcome the evil one by taking up our cross. By sacrificial love, we are going to defeat the enemy. That's God's answer to evil and injustice in the world. He does something. So the miracle of redemption, it doesn't explain theodicy, why a good God who's all-powerful allows evil and injustice to go on in the world. Jesus himself wrestled with this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the eve of his crucifixion, he cried out to his father and he said, Father, if there's any other way, please, won't you take this cup away from me? <sighs> but not my will. Father, let your will, your good will be done. And you can hear Jesus in his humanity wrestling with why. Why does it have to be this way? Surely there's a better way. Surely there's a less difficult, unjust way. He wrestled with it. It's okay to wrestle with that. The miracle of redemption reminds us what God does in the midst of our pain. God's good purpose in all things is to transform me into becoming more and more like Jesus. Like Jesus how? Let me just end with a few bullet points. Like Jesus how? Um, as I walk, as I limp around the block with my broken foot, I think Jesus, um, God is helping me to experience some of that peace that Jesus just seemed to live in, in his pain, in every anxious moment. God wants me to become more like Jesus and experience peace in my anxiety. More compassion for really difficult people. Greater joy in trusting and obeying my heavenly father even when it doesn't necessarily make sense. Greater freedom in a world that's constantly grasping for my attention and my affection, promising fulfillment, but constantly leaving me simply needing more. Jesus, like, lived this satisfied life, just full, full. And then he, then he had the audacity to say, would you also like to live a full life? Come, Feed on my flesh, drink my blood. Weird. <clears throat> Consume me, receive me, let me fill you, be full. That's freedom. A greater willingness and fullness in sacrificing. Okay, here's the hard one, guys. More like Jesus, how? A greater willingness and fullness in sacrificing my agenda my opinions, my rights for the sake of loving others, that I might participate in the way God loves me and this great, big, messy world. It's not a call to martyrdom. It's a call to participate in the love of God in Christ as he's filling us, we're compelled 
to share with others, to die to self, to take up my cross. And somehow in that, this is so um, contrary, so contrary to what just feels natural. In my losing my life, I find true life, true life, a full life, a satisfied life, as I get to participate in sharing him with my world, like that kind of Jesus. Can we stand together, please? Don't stop asking Jesus to heal your broken foot, all right? If you're hurting, don't stop asking. I never, ever, ever get fed up with my kids when they come to me in their pain. It blesses me to no end. Don't stop asking. Don't stop believing that actually maybe today will be the day that God heals this this part of me, my body, my financial situation, the addiction the betrayal. Maybe today will be the day. Maybe, or maybe in the life to come. Maybe. And don't stop believing God for the miracle of redemption. Regardless of the timeline, how much of God's kingdom I get to taste here and now, Maybe I'll have to wait a long time. Maybe it'll be today. Whatever that timeline is, remember, you're allowed to ask the question. I encourage you to ask the question, God, what good thing are you up to in my pain today? What do you want to do in this hard thing? Instead of me running away, instead of me pretending like, oh, it's okay, and just give it some time, all things are going to work out, give it some time. You know what else takes time? Resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. Give it enough time. No, no, no. Don't. That's nonsense. Come to Jesus and say, here's my pain. Here's my ugly thing. Here's my broken thing. I don't know what to do with it, honestly. I'm starting to hate it. But here it is, Jesus. Would you redeem it? Would you do something good with it that I might become more like Jesus today? That's his good gift. That's his good gift. You guys with me? It's kind of heavy, I know. Hey, thanks.